Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold, where gurus are gone, content is king, and where the macro conversions have taken the place of the Facebook likes as the marketing metric of choice. My name is Jacob Perry. Today I'm joined by Brandon Hassler and John Hammond. What's up, my men? Not much. How are you? Let me introduce you to this episode's sponsor. It's 97th Floor, an award-winning Moz-recommended digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah, and Orange County, California. They're known for driving bottom-line value results for clients like Pluralsight, Dell, and Salesforce. Visit 97thfloor.com to learn more. Okay, let me, uh, let me run down what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk company culture. Do you guys have company culture? Yeah. What does that even mean? We'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Six-second advertising on television is coming back. Six seconds. Wait. Coming back? Yeah, they've done it before. Well, When? They did it for the uh, award shows. What was it MTV? Yeah, they did it for the uh, But you're making uh, it sound like awards. they used to do this back in the 90s, and now six-second ads are coming back. <laughs> six-second ads are coming back from just a few months ago. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Taylor Swift, the marketing genius. And finally, have you gotten fired recently? We'll talk about that too. Let's get started. Or have you fired someone? And then what? You just give them a coupon? And then yeah. you let them know about the, uh, hey, just thinking about you. Send them a little. <laughs> or, or in the interview where you're firing them, hey, listen, there is an upside to this. Or no, in the exit interview, you could say, I'm about to unload a Whopper on you. Ooh. Just saying. Okay. Hey, welcome back to s- season four, episode two of Below the Fold. We're super excited to be here. Let's jump in. I'm going to pass it off to who? Brandon? I feel like we've had more than two episodes. Is no. this episode three? This is episode two of season four. Mm. All right. You're tossing it off to me? I toss it to you every week. Um, okay. So, so many places to start. One interesting thing that I stumbled across this week, and you just briefly mentioned it. Burger King had a pretty creative campaign to where, let me pull this up. On my computer, but essentially, if you have been fired from your job, go public with it. Own your fire, as Burger King likes to word it. Let people know that you've been fired and that you want a free Whopper. So all you got to do, if you have been fired by your job, hop on LinkedIn, say, I got fired. I want a free Whopper. Hashtag Whopper Severance. So that's the name of the campaign, Whopper Severance. Yes. So they said their intention behind the idea is to land the fact that Burger King cooks with fire, and then we're doing that in a fun, different, lighthearted way. And uh, you're also, apparently, they're they're partnering with a company called The Muse to offer 30 one-on-one... 30-minute. 30-minute one-on-one question and answer sessions to the first 100 participants that who post and register. So... Yeah, basically, uh, own your fire, go public, and let everyone know that you just lost your job, and you'll get a free Whopper. Is it worth it? To get fired? What do you mean? Like, well, like it's not like you're fi- making the choice. No one goes public and was like, hey, I just got fired today. Usually, Dude, they get in their job. I would own it. Free burger. 
All right. For a free burger? One yeah, vote. Like, what's the shame? You you got fired. So what? Would you do it if you got laid off from no. living today? No, I wouldn't. But that's because I don't like Burger King. Okay. That's true. You're like, hey, I got laid off, but not fired. I'm, Can I still get this free Whopper? I mean, <laughs> if In and Out were giving out free burgers, if I got fired, sure. Really? By the by, the way, they took this uh, opportunity to also uh, publicly announce that over the last three years, Burger King has created over fifty thousand new jobs globally. Dang. Yeah, that was the thing I read on there that obviously uh, Burger King's going to have access to all these resumes through LinkedIn. So it's also kind of an easy way for them to find out who's no, looking for not. a job. No, it's not. They even said that. I get that, but are you serious? Who's Burger? Who, who is Burger King hiring here? You think they're going to be hiring some exec who who just got fired from a digital marketing uh, team? You think someone like that is going to go want to flip burgers? No, but regardless, who, regardless of whether they're cooking on fire, someone who no has one's going to want to go. Management experience at a Kmart or something like that. They might be a guy who, man, our our location in that area needs a manager and we can't find anybody. Let's talk to this guy. I do see Burger King always has a little sign. The one I drive by every morning has a little sign that says open interviews today, walk in. So, you know, they're getting desperate. <laughs> are you saying yeah, that good. people are overqualified for Burger King jobs? <laughs> yes, or that I Burger do. King's not interested in. No, I'm saying that people are overqualified. Cause you're just thinking of so, like the customer facing. Here's the burger thing. Flip and sure. Great. But, but who is Burger? Who at Burger King is flipping burgers and has a LinkedIn profile? No one, but I'm not saying they're looking for people to flip burgers. They might be looking for like management positions. Also, this shift is shift leaders. Th- think about this, okay? Why would you be looking for a bunch of people who just got fired? Because we're in a market right now, at least here in Utah, where it's hard to get people to apply for the position, especially in fast food. I talked to my brother who owns a restaurant couple other people and your brother doesn't own a fast food chain what would you call it oh i guess you could say fast casual casual is the technical term philly casual so fast casual restaurants he he doesn't have a drive-through window okay yeah fast food was an insult my apologies (laughs) fast casual is the technical genre of restaurants i've actually never heard of that well i've got a question for both you guys if you were to get fired and you had to take a job at a fast food restaurant which fast food chain would you work at and an out burger why they pay they pay more than everyone else no 11 more 11 bucks an hour man i think chick-fil-a's got them yeah i was thinking chick-fil-a because i asked my wife that same question if you had to work at a fast food place what would it be i'm not working at chick-fil-a because you you have to be so nice (laughs) john no in and out they work you man yeah yeah dude chick you're on your toes it's my pleasure well, my it's my pleasure to serve you. You go home feeling good versus in and out. You're going to go home with like a high heart rate. I, Blood pressure's <laughs> going high from the stress of the kitchen. Yeah, are you kidding me? I, I would gain so much weight at Chick Fil A. They're so sedentary over there. Uh, listen, I don't want to work at a place where you have to go up to the counter to ask them to refill your drink. Well, that is true. That is annoying. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what I'd pick. I would say Chipotle. I, I don't want anything with a Chipotle. line. Or like Subway, man. I feel bad for those guys. <laughs> Nothing worse than people just watching you. <laughs> watching you make their the sandwich. And their could you picky. put some extra olives on that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, could you remake that? Uh, there's a hole in your pinky side of the glove, and I think that touched my bread. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, we're getting off yeah. topic here, <laughs> yeah, but that's a little weird. But, um, yeah, I think that it's cool that Burger King is giving me a free free Whopper from like a, oh, I feel bad. You just lost your job. Here's a free burger standpoint. That's cool. But from a hiring perspective, I think that is the worst thing ever. Yeah, oh, I don't think you that just got is fired from your intention. job. Oh, okay. Well, let me give you a job. So the creative camp that came up with this campaign for them has done a similar campaign for BK. They're stressing the whole, we do our burgers on a fire grill. And the previous campaign they did was they actually released images of actual uh, Burger Kings that caught on fire. (laughs) And they released these as, you know, we're flame grilling here. So the whole play (laughs) is like... I like that. Yeah, I think it's so. I like that. It's it's cool. It's like, yeah, we use fire for our burgers, you know, where Wendy's is doing fresh, never frozen. It's kind of, they're trying to catch up on that game. Hmm. So if you're the VP of marketing at Burger King, would you look at this campaign and say, let's do it? Yeah. Or are you not a fan? No, I would. All right. The fact that we're talking about it makes it a good campaign. Exactly. I think it's a good campaign. So kudos to David. You don't see, uh, you don't have any concerns about it backfiring. And people saying, "Hey, that's a good. That's a really good pun." <laughs> uh, you're you didn't like quick mine, though. What? You didn't like mine, though. No, yours was really bad. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the pun. So yeah, I saw this over the week. It stood out to me because I thought it was a very creative campaign. As a marketing guy myself, I love inspiration like this to get you to think outside the box. Yeah, I do like that. I like that they owned that Burger King's catch on fire. That's fun. Uh, yeah, I like that. Okay. So that's Burger King. Uh, if you have comments on that, you're welcome. By the way, we're, we're live on Facebook right now. So if you're listening to the podcast, just know that every Thursday at 5 PM around 5 PM, uh, mountain, (laughs) mountain time, we go live on Facebook and you can contribute live to the stream. You can talk to us via our Facebook. Yeah. We love the comments. Okay. So that's, uh, Burger King. What's next? John posted some interesting stories. I don't know where we're going to start. I want to start with Let's Taylor Swift. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. John? T-Swift. T-Swift. So she is, I just think she's a marketing genius. Um, let me just give you a quick rundown. In the last couple of albums she's released, she's done huge marketing campaigns for, like, you know, tons of Pandora ads. Social media. She's not even on Pandora. No, sorry. She she's not on Spotify. Spotify. She's back. And that's part of this campaign. Okay, go ahead. So, anyways, I don't know if you guys know the backstory, but her and Kanye West kind of got into a big beef. Yep. Um, the Kardashians got involved, obviously, because they're married to Kanye. But but we found out that that was a ruse. Yes. But her fans started posting uh, the little snake emoji on all of Taylor Swift's uh, social media profiles. Anytime she posted, hundreds, if not thousands, of people would start posting these little snake emojis. On Why? Her because the Kardashian girl called her a snake or something. And so they started just going bonkers on every social media profile of hers. So a couple of weeks ago, Taylor Swift deleted everything on her social media profiles. I mean, everything. The only thing she left was the profile. But everything else was gone. All the posts, everything. She unfollowed a ton of people. She left a few, mostly the big influencers, whatever. But then just, I think it was two weeks ago, um, I'll post a link to the, the the rundown of her 
activities on August 18th is when she swiped clean her Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook accounts. Then on August 21st. Are you talking about this year? Yeah, just last week. So August 21st, she started posting quick little videos of a snake tail just kind of rattling. And that's kind of hinting. Like a little teaser? Yeah, a little teaser. The next day, she does a middle of a snake. And then the following day, she shows a snake video where the snake head comes up and strikes the camera. And she announces that she's releasing new music on that Friday. And a new song dropped. And the new song and an album and a tour is all being announced. And the album's called Reputation. And then she drops this song with a music video. And it's got all this music video has got all these little hits on all these people that have made digs on her in the past, you know, since she began her career. And then it's got all these past previous uh, Taylor Swifts. And she's done all this with literally no money into marketing whereas her previous campaign she probably spent millions of dollars Mm -hmm. you know advertising her new album this she just did a few things with her social media profiles and then did a release and her music video and everyone's going bonkers the best part about this is that we even right now are saying that it's taylor swift who's doing it yeah it's not but it's awesome (laughs) yeah there's no way she's have you heard the new song though no it's awful i hate it it's awful (laughs) Uh, a lot of people like it. I, a lot of people hate it too. A lot of people like it. Yeah. I only made it about thirty seconds into the song, so it's that bad, huh? I guess I'm just not into. Okay, so you wanted to talk about T Swift. What did you want to talk about? Uh, with the T Swift? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, mainly just kind of digging into that. One question that came to my mind because the title of the article calls Taylor Swift a marketing juggernaut. And uh, going back several episodes, talking about who is the better marketer, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, I want to pose the question, who is the bigger marketing juggernaut, Taylor Swift or Donald Trump? Hmm. Because what, what, what they market what, in two different ways. Sure. What criteria are we, are we basing this off of? Just in general, like, who does the better job at drawing attention to themselves? <laughs> That's really hard. Because they're also on two different platforms. One's a president, the other one's a celebrity. Oh, I thought you were talking about social media platforms. No, <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think just by the nature of who's following Taylor Swift, she's more of a juggernaut. She has a bigger fan base via social media. Uh, yeah. Well, th- that's why I ask about criteria. Like more people talk about Trump more often. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift, she just had a spike. And then it's going to go away, whereas Trump has continually ha- – he's been in the media, but but he's the president. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's what well, makes it so hard. It's tougher now to say that. Here, here, here's what I'll compare. say, though. I, I'm going to say Taylor Swift, and it's because it's intentional. Like I think hers was planned. You don't and think there was, Donald Trump is intentional? I, I think he intends to – no. I, I, like, I think he purposely puts crazy things out there. Because it all goes back to the art of the deal. Start with an extreme ask and then move back to where you actually want. And that's been like his whole platform. Start extreme. When has he backed off from extreme? A lot of tons of stuff with immigration, healthcare, like starts extreme. I'm sorry. Every politician does that. Yeah, but he's very strategic about it. Like <laughs> he writes about that in his book. And then you look at how he markets. Like I think there's sometimes where he's about to hit tweet. On there, and he's like, 
there's going to be a lot of angry people about this. Oh, send it out. Yeah, no matter what he says, that's gonna happen. that's gonna be this. <laughs> but here's the thing I hate about celebrity marketing, and 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 not, even at 90 Cent Floor, when it's I was fake. There, not fake, but like it's fake. Jimmy Fallon's a marketing genius. The advantage that these people have, like if you were to take this exact strategy Taylor Swift just did on some local music artist, nobody would nobody give a crap. no one. Nope. Like her just deleting her posts will get attention yep. because she's in the spotlight. Yep. Um, Donald Trump, the same way. There's lots of crazy people on Twitter that nobody follows, um, but because of his celebrity status, like the little things that, whether they're intention or intentional or not, it's tough for like a marketing department to look at that and be like, okay, how can we repeat this? Uh, and so that's the one thing that always comes to my mind when I read these things. It's like, well, that's smart to take advantage of your status and, and the eyeballs that are on you. And did they know that, by simply deleting all of her social history, that that would cause stuff, probably. But uh, so yeah, it's just like you're, you're marketing on two totally different levels of marketing a company or something small versus celebrity marketing. Where yeah, well, th- there's actually something in common with the Burger King story, is that they own failure, right? That's that sounds kind of extreme. What they own is the negative, like. People bully Taylor yeah. about being a snake, and she owns it, yeah. right? And then Burger King, their buildings burn down, and they own that. They mm-hmm. own that. Uh, and, like, and that's what I like is I, that, uh, yeah, you can say whatever you want. It's kind of sticks and stones. You know what I mean? What were you going to say? Well, I just think, yeah, it's exactly that. They're feeding off the negativity and then trying to spin it into a positive. And yeah. It's cool. Yeah, but, I, I mean, it's all fake. It's all fake. And Wendy's, you look at them, like, their customer support, quote-unquote, is very sassy. So, like, people will... Who? Wendy's. So, like, if you look... What customer support? You mean their Twitter like account? Their Twitter, yeah. Oh. Like, people complaining about Wendy's or even stuff like, hey, Wend- uh, hey, Wendy's, I'm going to McDonald's today. Screw you. And then Wendy's will reply with, like, a sassy comment. Uh, I didn't know that about Wendy's. Get, which will yeah, they're attention. great on Twitter. They're hilarious. But if you were a small local restaurant and you did that, they'd be like, wow, these guys are assholes. I'm never going there again. <laughs> but Wendy's gets away with it because they're so big. And then they're like, oh, this is genius how they're taking it. You know, it's actually, speaking of a local restaurant, I, I, the chef in Provo, he, he owns a, a Italian restaurant. He uh, posted a review someone left about his restaurant, gave him a one star on Google, and he just obliterated this guy just saying – You've never even come to my restaurant. You're just doing this out of my political views. And it was pretty interesting to see. And I was just, I'm wondering what you guys think. Do you think that was smart of him to post this this review of his restaurant and then call this guy out? No. I think so. How, how could he possibly know whether this guy came to his restaurant? You can know, especially when it's a small. You can look up receipts, look up camera footage. Not if you paid in cash. Camera footage. Are you kidding me? You think this guy is going through freaking... Hours of camera footage to you determine can. whether this guy's you can there. You dig in. Like, a lot of people are like, I went in there Saturday afternoon and whatever. And then they look. That never happened on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So. Uh, I think it is smart. And here's why. Because we've been dealing with this. Not that we're getting, like, a surge of bad reviews at Dev Mountain. But whenever bad reviews come in, it's usually there's a story behind this person that the public doesn't know. Uh, we just had one guy who complained who apparently has come to class uh, super high he's peed off balconies uh like just tons of violations and so he didn't get the official graduation status so of course he goes and says what a waste the program is 
I view it as when you're responding to a negative review in any business, you're you're more so talking to the readers, not the person. You're not going to change Obviously. their mind. Yeah. And so I like like even just putting the doubt in people's mind, like when the manager responds and say, actually, we've talked about this before and I've tried to help you. He knows that he's not going to help that customer. Like they're still going to be furious or whatever. Um, but it at least puts the it just plants the seed in the person's mind. Like, oh, maybe that reviewer is crazy. Moving on. Sure, I I That's don't I, I don't disagree it. with that. What John was saying, there was a little difference in that the restaurant owner was attacking the reviewer. Yeah, do you want me to actually read what he said? Yeah, if you can find that. Yeah. So like. Like calling people out on specific stuff. Yeah, if you want to respond and then and mess and use that as a message to readers, I think that's fine. That's appropriate. But if you're just going on to attack the person who reviewed, that reflects very poorly on you as a business owner. You got to do it in the right way. That is for sure. Yeah. The one advantage this guy has is I think his personality is kind of baked into his brand. He's a very outspoken guy already, and most people who go to his restaurants know. Yeah. who he is and how what his opinions are. He's very public. One one thing before you read that, John, uh, I saw this image. I don't even remember where, but some restaurant owner, you know how sometimes you put kind of one of those teepee signs out front of y- your store that has like the daily deals or whatever? Yeah. Uh, w- one restaurant had written something like, come try uh, our, you know, awesome, or, uh, come try our hamburger that one person on Yelp thought was the most disgusting thing they've ever had on, on the planet. And I, so I awesome. thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that's funny. Anyway, go ahead, John. So the the original review says this. It's one star. It says, this place was wretched. The food is bad and the staff was worse. Places a watered-down olive garden with without the standards. Avoid at all costs. Okay, so that was the review. I'm sorry, but like Olive Garden has standards? Yeah. Give me a break. It's classy so. Italian. <laughs> It's classy something. Yeah. So the chef responds, blank, blank, so his name, doesn't agree with me politically. He can't deal with people who don't agree with him, even those in his own party. So instead of dealing with it like a man, he posts a bad review on my Google reviews page. What do you think, Facebook? Here's the review so you can see. By the way, he's never been to my place. How can he? He just said in his party. Like, how is he dis? disagreeing with his po- political views and his party if he's never been to his place right does that seem weird well i think he's saying that like they have met before and they've had outside of their i think it's a, a political it's party like they're both republican huh uh i would say that response specifically could have been toned down um but yeah if yeah that's tough <laughs> but it's also yeah, in line you should, with you should brand. respond. You should respond. You should respond to your reviews. You should. Uh, that's one thing Vivin's not. Uh, Vivin is good at responding, but they're they're really good at responding extremely insincerely, and or it feels like a bot, basically, or like someone from the PR department. Yeah, it's it's We're it, so it kind sorry of to hear. It, it, they like blame the customer. Hmm. <laughs> like I hate that. It's like oh well, you should have done this or whatever. Anyway. So that's what what was that? Oh, that was T Swift. <laughs> yeah. That was T Swift. Okay. So let's talk uh NFL? No, I don't want to talk well yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the six seconds. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. 
So let me clarify on this. Fill me in. Six-second ads Fox will be doing on uh, this upcoming NFL game, which was a big move following YouTube's lead of the uh, six-second ads. It says that there'll be uh, one. They could go in-game. So while you're watching the game, there's a six-second ad. Also, there could just be a series of six-second ads. So my question, two, two questions. Is this on actual TV that they're doing these six-second ads on Fox? Yeah. And is this still just going to take up the same amount of time, like two minutes of six-second ads? No, I think it's going to be normal 30- to 60-second ads with some six-second ads thrown in. Yeah, in the article it says um, Fox Networks Group will be the first broadcaster to commit to the non-skippable spots. So it's going to be the actual TV cable network. Okay, so before we dump, uh, jump, jump into that, I have a history lesson for you guys. Do you guys know when the very first television commercial went live? Yes, I do. You do? Yep. Tell me. 1971. Nice. No. John? 68. Okay, so you both are pretty close to 30 years off. So 1941, July 1st, 1941, the very first television commercial went live in New York. This is, be- this is when less than 1% of America had televisions. <clears throat> it was during a baseball game. On a local channel in, in New York. It was a 10-second commercial advertising Belova watches and cost $4. $4 for a 10-second spot locally in New York during a baseball game. Okay, so not to get like super boring about uh, history of TV ads, but in 1941, that's, that's kind of where it sat. Uh, in the 40s and 50s is, is when it really boomed. And when <clears throat> it used to be at the very beginning, that television commercials weren't interjected in a show. It was a full TV show was sponsored by one company. So like Colgate or some cigarette company would sponsor a whole show. So that show would come on the, at the very beginning and say, this, this uh, program is sponsored by Colgate. And then, and then the show, like Colgate would pay for the production of the show. I was the same with radio back in the day. Totally. Well. So what happened, this is really interesting, this is, um, what's that? Oh, man. Uh, Meet the Press. So Meet the Press is so, so old, but it, it almost got canceled because there wasn't a company willing to sponsor the whole show. So the producer of the time, I think it's NBC, came out and said, you know what? We don't need to find one, one company. Let's find several companies that, will, that we can create commercials for and, and interject these several minutes of uh, commercials into a show. So an hour at the beginning with Meet the Press, a full hour show would have nine minutes of commercials just kind of interspersed. And each one was on average uh, 30 to 60 seconds. This goes back to the 50s. Ever since the 50s, when we had 30 to 60 second ads, we're at 60, 70 years of ads being 30 to 60 seconds long and uh, which, by the way, was not the, the they used to be about 10 seconds. So when I said uh, going back to six seconds, I kind of was going back way further when when commercials used to be a lot shorter than the 30 to 60 seconds. And uh, but when the 90s hit, um, it went from around nine minutes for an hour show to about 19 minutes. So about 19 minutes of commercials for an hour show. And uh 
and then TiVo was born. Did you know TiVo was from the 90s? Yeah. That blows my mind. forgot about TiVo. Yeah. People still say TiVo. There's DVR now. Well, TiVo was a brand. It was. It it became, though, like a... DVR and TiVo were competitors. I think DVR just kind of went out. um, Simon Sinek, who wrote the book Start With Why, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Anyways, he talks about TiVo and their demise, and it was they got away from their why. He's all about, like, you stick with the why of your company or anything in life, you have a why. And he talked about TiVo as one of their prime examples. I can't remember exactly why he said their demise was coming <laughs> on, so I was not paying attention to the why. Nice. But I'll find the article and post it on Facebook. Yeah, so uh, when TiVo came around, uh, it I mean, you know, commercials – took a took a dive they had to go a little bit more digital but the coolest thing about second uh, or six minute ads on tv you know what influenced that is the online community so like vine with six second stories uh online advertising so on youtube you'll see some five five to ten second ads so it has to do with culture our culture has morphed and evolved into shorter like being able to consume content in a shorter amount of time but get the same amount of messaging. And 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 honestly, I think it's a lot harder to come up with a six-second ad than a 30- or 60-second ad. Uh, they're cheaper, but I think it, it takes a lot more creativity to, to be able to fit everything into those six seconds. Um, anyway, so that's kind of the history. And I think the biggest impact, the biggest piece of this story is that our generation – after 60 or 70 years of 30 to 60 second commercials, we've now gotten to the point where our generation is influencing network TV uh, for with, with shorter commercials. So, yeah, I mean, it's not that like six second commercials, so what? But when you're talking about a history of 60 or 70 years of the exact same thing, I think it's a big story. It is cool. It's changing the status quo. Totally. Revolution. Anyway, any thoughts on why they're starting with football? I, like they're starting with the most popular and most watched uh, television. You think that's done on purpose? Uh, probably. It draws attention. It's almost like they they have this theory and and they just are, like turn it into a landing like a website, right? If you yeah. if you want to A B test something something with users and you want to find out and get as much data as possible as soon as possible, you send excuse me you send that traffic to your highest uh, trafficked web page. Right. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Anything else on that? No, I like the idea of like you look at uh, when you were talking about how back in the day an episode was basically sponsored by one company. We're seeing that on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You have the ads, but like the big shows, like with with the people with the big following, usually it's hey, by the way, guys, want to thank the sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Go ahead and use promo code whatever. And just so everyone knows, Dollar Shave Club is not sponsoring this episode. They are not. No, they just got a free shout out. <laughs> that's right. So, no, that's a good point because podcast podcasting, which is the new radio, uh, is going back to being sponsored typically by one company. Sometimes you'll have multiple, but um, usually it's just one company sponsoring an episode or a season or whatever it is. Yeah, I've got NPR's Planet Money ads down spot. This episode brought to you by Betterment. <laughs> Betterment. Sounds like a chewing gum. <laughs> but I think it's an effective form. As a from the advertising side, I would rather be the sponsor for an episode regularly versus target ads for viewers of these videos because 
the psychology of people not kind of paying attention while the ad's playing, but they will pay attention when the personality's talking, and then they talk about the brand. Yeah, yeah. You know what podcast I really love that has the worst sponsor? Below the Fold? Nope. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a great sponsor. <laughs> uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Do you know who sponsors that? No idea. Chanel. Oh. I remember you told me about this. Holy cow. It's like it's like the worst. Like what do only women listen to this? Is that what their market research is it's telling them? Anyway. And then you. And me. Paxton listens to <laughs> Revisionist History as well. Okay. Hey, let's talk about uh real quick company culture. So, Brandon, you shared an article with us. Uh, this is a local story where a couple of dudes, Jared Olson and what's the other guy's name? Blake Beard. I thought it said Blackbeard at first. Wow, <laughs> what a name. Okay, so Brandon shared an article that talks about a new company in Utah. Well, here, here the name of the company is Rafia. Rafia. Spell that out. R-E-Y-F-Y-A. Rafia. So the, the 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 title of this article, which was published by Silicon Slopes, there is a culture disruption taking place in Silicon Slopes. So, have you guys read the article? I know Brandon has. Yeah, you did as well. What does that What does that headline make you think of? I think something involving a lot of different companies and, like, I don't know, with hiring, firing, just in general, something cultural like that. disruption taking place. Yeah, something that's taking place all over. Yeah. Yeah, in, my, in Silicon Slopes. My very first thought when I read this, and I think it's also read just, the article or the headline. When I read, when I saw the headline, like when I, and it, it was the headline combined with this odd picture, uh, and I think it's just combined with all the stuff going on. In Will the you news. share the picture on Facebook? Will do. It'll probably show up if you share the link. I uh, my immediate thought is, oh, it's the stereotypical white male Silicon Slopes, and it's being disrupted from a diversity standpoint and so that's what just because i see these like two awkward white looking dudes on here with cultural disruption i wasn't necessarily thinking about company culture i was just thinking about like the overall tech culture that takes place where stereotypically it's white males and so that's what i was thinking it was going to be talking about but then it quickly went into company culture which caught my interest still because that is something i've been thinking about a lot is how even just from a marketing department standpoint, can we create a culture where your team members get to go to work, not they have to go to work? Um, and yeah, so I'm glad you like the article because culture is something I would definitely like to dig into. And maybe we even do another episode and we either bring them in or someone else. Yeah, let's. Dig I, into I think culture. we should. I think we should invite them in because uh, I think they have an interesting story. And I think there can be a lot of debate around what comp- what company culture is and and how to get it, right? So uh, my biggest problem that I found in this email or in this uh, article is that they talk about having an organic approach to your company culture, right? Organic. So when I tell you, John, Brandon, if I told you, you need to have an organic approach to your company culture, what does that make you like? What would you do if that's all I said, Brandon? You just need to have an organic approach to your company culture. What do you do? 
like, how do I take that? Yeah, like if you were over company culture in your company and, and someone just said, dude, like you're working too hard at it. You just need to have an organic approach. What, what do you do? I think the non-organic way is reward programs or we you, get a you, ping pong you're table. answering my question in the opposite way I'm asking. Well, I'm just saying like I would do not those things. <laughs> I would not focus on ping pong tables. I would not focus on like uh, having a meeting and be like, hey, guys, I want to introduce you to the new. So what would you focus on? I would focus on and I think this is something that Wayne at 97. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not asking what you would do. I'm what I'm asking. I'm asking. If if you were trying to take an organic, organic approach, what does that mean? Organic approach. What does that mean? It's a non-forced or it's uh, it doesn't look like it's an attempt to try to convince people. So, so it is an attempt. It is an attempt, but it doesn't look like an attempt. Is that what you're telling me? Somewhat. So so it's a little bit more of a, a – there has to be sincerity there. It's not just like we need company culture, so let's buy a foosball table. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you, John? What do you think? So, Take an organic approach. What would you go do? That's your that's your directive. I think it would start with hiring and the traits you're looking for and the person you're trying to hire. I think that starts there. It's like, okay, our company culture, is it going to be something based out of hard work or is it going to be fun or is it going to be creativity? And then I would start there. You know, We're going to breed in new people into this company. Who are we going to hire? We're going to have new blood pumping into the system. Are we going to be hiring someone who, in their interview, they talk about how hard they work or something like that? Or is it someone who's like, oh, I love being creative. This is what I do on my side. You know, I do a podcast or I do a food blog, whatever it is. You know, that's what I would start with is that's an organic approach to me is pumping in new blood without really having to say much. So new blood, like what does that mean? Like you're getting rid of all your old guys? No, just when you're hiring someone new, you define which traits you're really going to be going after and make sure you hire to those traits. So so when you are, so you're saying you want to create company culture, it's all in the hiring. Once you hire someone, you think, okay, well, he's going to help with this organic approach to culture. That's step one. What's step two? That's the rub. <laughs> I think the organic side, when you really like survey people and ask them what's important about their job or just what jobs they seek, money is never the number one thing. It's usually I want a job that I'm proud of, that I feel like I'm like accomplishing something, I'm making a difference. And yeah, it's cool to show up to a job where you can get food or play ping pong or they've got, uh, you know, you can get <clears throat> massages and whatnot. That's great, but that doesn't help the employee go home and say, man, I like did some amazing stuff today. And Netflix was very good about, about this, and that's what 97th Floor really tried to implement in there is the whole A-player mentality to where we're just going to focus and set expectations of this is the greatness that we want to achieve, and you're either on board or you're not. And, yeah, you're going like, to weed out a lot of people who do just want to have the job with the ping pong table and the cool perks but when you focus on that, we're here to make a difference, and that's what gets people excited to show up to work, knowing that they're working alongside other people who are just as passionate as them. And so there's a lot of different ways to go about that, but that would be my focus is how do we get our employees to really feel committed and emotionally invested in what we're doing? And that's never going to be through benefits and 
ping pong tables and, and all of that. All right. So let, let me tell you what I think about when I hear organic approach. I'm excited for this, actually. To me, it means do nothing. That's what organic means. Just let it happen. Okay? Because what they're saying in this article is don't force culture. Right? Don't force people to wear a Hawaiian shirt on Fridays because it's Hawaiian shirt day. Right? Organic means do nothing. Just let it happen. Okay? Do you agree? Disagree? I agree. agree. Okay. So if that's the case, if we're taking an organic approach, then why would we need to hire Rafia to come in and tell us how to do company culture if, if they're not coming in to tell us to do something? Because the moment you tell me to do something, it's no longer organic. Do you feel like this is a very like millennial term? And I mean, it is for me, but term and then this whole company's approach of organic culture. I, I don't know. I've never heard it before. Like, it's not that I don't agree with it. And, and maybe they come in and, and they and they and their job is to point out things that you're doing that isn't organic, right? Like, it's not telling you you need to do this. Maybe they come in and say, "Hey, you're you need to not do this. Like, like this is not you, you, this Hawaiian shirt day on Fridays. You shouldn't be doing that because most of the people don't even want to do it, and, and, and that hurts morale, right? I, I I don't know, and that's why I would love to bring them in and talk to them about it. Yeah. But but in my mind, I hear you need to do it organically, but at the same time, you need to hire us so that we can teach you how to do it, which comes back to Brandon's point where there's you need to do it without having the appearance of doing it, right? Which, I don't know, to me, it kind of makes sense. Hey, let's let's do this, but let's do it sincerely. Like, let's not do it because you're supposed to do it. Let's do it because, like, we want we want people to feel good about their jobs and 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 build morale and team building and all that stuff, uh, but but you're right. Like it's it's tough. It's really really hard to have a good work culture. And, and you know what? I've been at Vivint just over a year, and the culture has changed so much. Uh, not just from like point A to point B, but from point A to B to C to D to E to F, and it just keeps changing. And, and uh, for some people, that's awesome. For for others, it's a little bit harder. Um, and it has to do with leadership, right? If you're filtering through. And just getting new bosses and new people who are, you know, it's just like they're bringing their own culture. And it's just like, I don't know, this mix of, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I like, do I sound like a total idiot? To John's point, I think all of that really starts at the hiring process. So if you're in the early stage of a company, um, typically you're hiring people who not only have the skills, but they have a similar personality to you, and that's important at uh, many companies. It's tougher in a bigger company where you realize, man, I've got a company of 500 people, and everybody hates being here. Um, well, I mean, that's not a good company. Well, well, hang on, hang on, because you just tapped into something totally – I hadn't even thought about that because when you think about company culture as a whole, when you're, when you're getting to 500 people, I don't I, – that, that is – that's to, like – in my mind, I'm thinking – department right there are 30 people in my department and that's manageable because you're interacting with those people no matter what you're going to have different cultures like i i I don't know if they're called subcultures but you have a company culture right vivant as a whole has a has a a perceived culture from the outside and then there's a perceived culture from the inside and then there's the actual culture uh but there's not a lot of focus on that yeah well it's hard to say because you have the sales side which has their totally different culture you've got the corporate side you've got the customer service side you have different locations you got linden office provo office lehigh office and and they're different cultures right so when i think about a when i think about a vivant overall culture 
I honestly have no idea how I would quantify that or how I'd even describe it. Like that in my mind, that doesn't, that's not even a thing. I agree. I mean, even a company like 97 floor, you know, we, we have like 65 employees somewhere around there. Each team that is within 97 floor has a totally different culture, which, which kind of makes sense because all the team leads are supposed to be running their teams like their, their own business. Yeah. Which I think is great. Yeah, organic. Yeah, it, it really does happen organically. I guess from a leadership standpoint, uh, the the decision you have to make is: Are you going to let it grow, or are you going to like, hey guys, we can't be doing this? Um, even like at Dev Mountain, like we have so many different cohorts going on, and every class has their own culture. Some classes they love to play video games afterwards. Other ones they might like to get together and go for a run in the morning. And, and video games are the Losers. last thing from their mind. And uh, you just have to embrace. It. You can't say, "Oh no, you can't do this. You can't do that." Uh, and so, from a from a department standpoint, or even a, a company standpoint, you got to look at what are people just naturally wanting to do. Let's not put limitations. Let's embrace that and make that part. So, if eighty percent of your staff loves running, make running part of the culture by not by saying Friday's running day, we're all going to get together. But I think your employees just naturally get together and it's like i'm here at nice and floor like we go to i don't know if you were going but 7-eleven runs sure and stuff like that it be, kind of became like a company thing but like leadership never said hey guys just so you know uh every day at one o'clock you can make a 7-eleven run so thanks for working here you're all awesome it just <laughs> naturally happened in 97 floor step back and just let the employees kind of create the culture and that starts with hiring like-minded people um so that's where I, yeah Personality, that's a whole other conversation, but if you have someone who's super skilled and meets every requirement on the job application, but you can tell that their personality is not going to click, do you or do you not hire that person? That's a different discussion, I suppose, but I think that plays into culture. Yeah. No, I agree. No, that's a really good discussion. Hopefully, we can get Jared and what's his name again? Blake. Blake. Let's uh, let's reach out and see if, if, if they wouldn't be interested in coming on. That's all I have. That's all our time for the day. That's true. How about we close up shop? If you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to rate us on iTunes or any other platform in which you're using to listen to us at this moment. We also invite you to reach out and engage with us via Twitter. Our handle is at below the fold IO. We record every Thursday evening at 5 p.m. Mountain time and we live stream. You're welcome to join us at that point as well. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold.